The title of tonight's talk is The Infernal Trio. Who or what this infernal trio is, I will tell in a minute. But let me begin with, we all live in a free country and we are all free to do what we want to do. But actually, we are not as free as we think we are. For example, let's say from our day-to-day uh, -day life, we think we are free to have a cup of coffee anytime we want. Or we think that we are free, free to have a piece of chocolate whenever we want. Or we think that we are free to read the news online whenever we want, day or night. So let's pick one of these examples. Let's take the second one. The freedom to have a piece of chocolate whenever we want. Is this real freedom? And if you're not into eating chocolates, you can substitute the chocolate with your favorite food. Maybe it's french fries or olives or sausages or a Big Mac. So again, is this real freedom or is it not just a compulsive pattern in regard to desire, wanting, craving, or greed? And from my own experience, I know that I have been so often the victim of these compu compulsive and habitual patterns many times. And still, I uh, uh, still am. So I thought that my freedom consisted in the fulfillment of my each and every desire or cravings. So the sequence of action is very simple. First, there is the desire the wish or the craving to have some chocolate. And this desire can be prompted by various things. Maybe we have just seen an ad for chocolate. Or maybe it's because I feel bored. Or maybe it's because I see somebody else eating a piece of chocolate or maybe it has been prompted by the chocolate just in front of the uh, checkout counter. So whatever it may be, let's say this desire comes up and then the mind starts to figure out how this desire can be satisfied immediately. It wants to have it, it needs to have it. And so, if you are at home and if we have some chocolate in our cupboard, then the body almost automatically stands up, walks out into the kitchen, the arm opens the cupboard, 
takes out the chocolate, breaks off three squares and eats it. And then the desire has been satisfied, the experience was pleasant, and so we feel happy and satisfied. In this sequence of action, there has actually been very little freedom, but a very strong and habitual pattern. In other words, when we are run by these habitual uh, patterns, by these compulsive patterns, then we are victims of this infernal trio. And in the meantime, you may have figured out who or what this infernal trio is. It's none other than greed, hatred and delusion. And delusion is the leader or the boss of this trio. And he has two very able helpers, namely greed, craving, and aversion, hatred. If delusion, the leader, did not exist, then also his two helpers, greed and hatred, would not exist. So if we want to become really free human beings, we need to put a stop to the doings of this infernal trio, as long as they can exercise their influence we are not really free. In order to be happy, we want that things are this way or that way. At least we want them to be in a way that we like, that is agreeable, pleasant. But there is one problem the world very rarely matches our expectations. So to have expectations and hopes for things to be a certain way, then we have a sure source of dissatisfaction, of disappointment, of suffering. Because the world does not care about our likes and preferences. So if our happiness depends on the fulfillment of our expectations, hopes and desires, then we'll always chase after happiness. Somewhere in the Buddhist scriptures, I have read that human beings, unenlightened human beings, should be regarded as crazy or as mad. So, here we are, a group of crazy and mad people. 
at least each of us tries very hard not to end up in the psychiatric ward. So, to escape the craziness and to overcome our delusion, we have to give up our conventional ideas of what consists uh, or of what this happiness. True, lasting happiness cannot be found outside of us. It's not in the fast car. It's not in the good-looking partner. It's not in the delicious food. It's not in the five millions that we have on our bank account. It's not in impeccable beauty. Many people, they have this uh, desire forever new experiences, forever more exciting experiences, forever um, uh, more amazing sense uh, pleasures, to have more peak experiences, which give a short time happiness, but which apparently do not last. Therefore, they need to have yet another peak experience. Here is a little anecdote of Nisargadatta, a famous Indian uh, teacher who lived in the last century. A student once complained to Nisargadatta that daily life seemed so tedious to him. And Nisargadatta said, You have done the most amazing thing. You have made life boring. <laughs> of course, in a culture of 30-second sound bites and blockbuster action movies, people get easily into the habit of looking for a never-ending diet of peak experiences. When only highly stimulating events are worthy of appreciation, people easily feel that life is dull and uninteresting. And so, in the midst of abundance, people find life lacking. And so, they need more different things. Desire, wanting, craving, greed. These are very strong forces which influence our actions. It's always this, I want this, I want chocolate, and I don't want cheese, or I want go sailing, I don't want to go hiking. 
I want to go to the movies or I don't want to go to the opera. Then besides wanting, uh, desire, there is another unwholesome force and this is known as aversion, hatred, ill-will, anger, frustration, or resentment, dislike. So wanting and not wanting are like the two sides of a coin. If you have the front side of the coin, then there must be a back side. Only to have one is not possible. Daniela, who is a Czech writer and meditator, expressed this point in a very short fairy tale. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was the back of the hand. The back of the hand did not like the palm of the hand. Therefore, the back of the hand made an application to the authorities asking to relinquish the palm of the hand. The application was approved. End of the fairy tale. So the first member of this infernal trio is wanting, desire, craving, greed. The party expression for this is loba. And in the scriptures, the nature of loba, all forms of wanting, craving, desire, from the most obvious and strong forms to the most subtle forms of wanting. So the nature of this is explained as stickiness. And the traditional comparison is just as a piece of meat sticks to a hot iron pan, so does loba stick with its object. A number of years ago, an Australian friend of mine showed me how a Ceylonese meditation teacher illustrated him the nature of loba, stickiness. And I have to remove this. <laughs> he illustrated it in this way because the teacher said, look, if you lock the two hands like this, then you cannot pull them apart. And the teacher started to go like this. <coughs> A long time he went on like this until the nun who had to translate said, Bante, I think this is enough. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, it made a lasting impression on my, man, on my friend's mind, and as he showed it to me in that way, I also remember it <laughs> very well. Another way to explain the characteristic of greed and how it traps us in the cycle of birth and death is illustrated with the monkey trap. I like this illustration because it's so simple and easy to understand. So apparently in Asia there are traps to catch monkeys. And for this, they fix an empty coconut with a string to a pole or to a tree. And they put some sweets on the bottom of the coconut. Apparently monkeys like sweets too. And then they put a lid, a cover on it which has an opening just big enough that the monkey can put in his hand. And so, and the opening is not big enough to pull out a closed hand, a fist. So the monkey gets the smell of the sweet, goes there, puts the hand inside, grasps the sweet on the bottom of the coconut, and then wants to pull out uh, his hand, but now he is stuck because the opening is not big enough. So there the monkey is trapped. If he could let go of the sweet, then he would be free. But he clings to the sweet. Once he has got it, he does not let go of it anymore. And so he is only trapped by his own desire, uh, clinging. If he could let go, he would be free. And this is what the teachers throughout the ages tell us time and again. Happiness and peace are not gained by wanting and holding on, but by letting go. Ajahn Chah, the famous Thai uh, meditation master, he said, if you let go a little bit, you will get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will got, get a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will get complete peace. So, for example, if people have something, then that's how they hold things, like this, this tissue in my hand. So, because this is mine and I need this and this belongs to me, so I hold on to it. I do not let go of it because uh, if I open the, the hand, it will drop, I will lose it. So, 
I need to hold on. I need to uh, hold it tightly. But there is another way of relating to things, to us, to others, to material things, to people, living beings, situations. And it's very simple. We only need to turn the hand and then we can open our closed fist. We can, yeah, loosen the grip and still this tissue, it's on my hand. I do not lose it. And so I can make use of it in an appropriate way. So, letting go. Letting go seems to be the magic word. Letting go of desire, of craving, of wanting, of holding on. This is also what the Buddha said. He said, Nothing whatsoever is worth to be clung to. And not even the most blissful states of mind, such as happiness or peace or calm. Then the flip side of wanting, desire, is not wanting which is aversion, hatred, anger, ill will, resentment, frustration, and so on. Because we do not like what is, the mind reacts with aversion, with ill will, with pushing away. Wanting is like the hand reaching out and holding, grabbing something. Not wanting or aversion is like the hand pushing away something. In the scriptures, it is said that the nature of dosa which is the Pali word for all forms of aversion, dislike, anger, and so on. So the nature of dosa is harshness or ferocity. Aversion is rough and harsh. It's wild and unbridled. And it easily develops into violence. And in its stronger forms, dosa can be a mind-altering emotion, which can have a devastating effect on our ability to think and to make appropriate decisions. As we know, incredible harm and misery can be created through anger and aversion. So dosa, anger, aversion, ill will, 
This is the second member of the infernal trio. When a person gets upset or angry, she or he is very quick to blame something or somebody for her or his anger. Of course, the cause of one's anger is always outside, out there. And so the person blames the weather, the traffic, the loud neighbor, the noisy neighbor, or the dirty toilet. But the real cause for anger is never outside of us. The real cause of anger, dosa, is always within. It's in our basic delusion or ignorance, not knowing how things really are. During my years when I lived in Burma, in a meditation center, a monastery, we had a foreign meditator who was of an aversive uh, temperament. And on top of that, he was also quite fussy about things. Things needed to be the way he wanted them to be. And so he spent quite some time to get things his way. <laughs> and so he asked for this and that. And little things that would have been very easy to get in the West, they were quite difficult to get in Burma. And so every time he needed something, he got quite upset and angry when he didn't get them immediately, when he had to wait two days or three days or four days until we could get what he wanted. So he got upset at the person in the office or just got upset about the difficult situation. And one morning after breakfast, he came to my kuti, to my little house where I was staying, and he had a question. And after I had answered his question, he continued to talk, airing out his frustration about all these difficult things that make him so upset and angry. So basically, I was saying that it was all uh, these difficult situations and the people involved uh, making him so angry and upset. So I patiently listened to his words and when he had finished, I said, you know, anger is never caused by something external, but anger arises because there is delusion in the mind. Of course, this was not what he wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so
So he turned around and walked away. <laughs> so the third member of the infernal trio is delusion. The Pali word for it is moha. Also ignorance or not knowing. And delusion, moha, is the boss of this infernal trio. And without him or her, the other two members of the infernal trio would not exist. So moha's biggest concern is that reality will be discovered. If things are seen as they really are, in the true nature, delusion can no longer exist. Moha can no longer be there. So the light of right understanding, of insights and wisdom, makes delusion disappear into nothing. So one area where the mind is deluded is in regard to the three general characteristics like ignorance takes the impermanent to be permanent and ignorance takes the unsatisfactory to be satisfactory ignorance takes the impersonal to be personal Or there is the basic delusion in regard to the Four Noble Truths. As you know, the Noble Truths of Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, the cause of Dukkha, the cause of suffering, the origin of suffering, then the end of Dukkha, the end of suffering, and the path, the way that leads to the end of Dukkha, dissatisfaction. And there is delusion in regard to many more things. So it's this delusion, ignorance, or not knowing that is the root of all kinds of dukkha, dissatisfaction and suffering. And based on this uh, basic ignorance, then actions arise, actions of body, speech and mind. And these actions are based on either loba, a form of desire, wanting, craving, or they are based on aversion, not wanting, dislike, um, anger, and so on. So delusion or not knowing is not the ignorance of how to handle a smartphone, or it's not the ignorance of not knowing the way to the 
to the railway station. It's also not the ignorance that doesn't know the sequence of the months. Just recently, a friend of mine told me that her now grown-up son doesn't know the sequence of the months. He had to learn them at school, but he just couldn't get them right. And so he has grown up, and now still as a grown-up, he doesn't know that after October comes November. <laughs> or the ignorance or the illusion that the Buddha was talking about is also not the ignorance that takes Switzerland to be one of the states here in the US. <laughs> Many years ago, when I was a backpacker, I was traveling in Australia, taking a bus from Sydney to Brisbane, and I was sitting next to a young Australian woman. And so we started talking, and so she told me that she was going to visit her parents up in Brisbane. And she asked me where I was from, so I told her from Switzerland. And then she kind of said, well, um, uh, can you tell me in which part of the US Switzerland is? <laughs> so the ignorance or the illusion that the Buddha uh, talked about is this very basic not knowing of how things really are. Or it's this wrong and distorted notion of who we are and what the world around us is. So what can we do in order to stop the disastrous activities of the infernal trio. We can be mindful, we can be aware. Unfortunately, I cannot give you a quick fix to say do this and then in two minutes ignorance is gone. If the Buddha knew of such a quick remedy, I am sure he would have told. So with each moment of being really present, of being mindful of what is happening in this body, heart-mind process, we can weaken a little bit the force of delusion. So for example, we might notice that the thought as a reason that he stays a short while and then that he disappears. So we can notice that the thought is fleeting, that it is short-lived. So we see its transient nature, we see its impermanent nature. Or having a nasty pain in the back, we want to get rid of this pain. But we realize 
that we cannot make it go away. We realize that we do not have this absolute control over the body, over this pain. And so in this way, we can come to see the impersonal nature of things. Or we might experience a very calm uh, mind. It's calm, tranquil, feeling of peacefulness and happiness is there. But then it dissolves, disappears. And then we notice that we are disappointed or frustrated. And so although it was a nice, pleasant uh, state, it's no longer there. So we see that this change is not satisfying. And so we can come to see the unsatisfactory nature of things. So with each moment of mindful attention, we can remove a little bit of greed, a little bit of aversion, or a little bit of delusion. Compared to the big mess of greed, hatred and delusion, this tiny bit that has been removed is almost invisible or negligible. But if the practice is done repeatedly over an extended period of time, then eventually it will become visible. And the Buddha used the illustration of the handle of an axe. Like a carpenter who uses an axe every day cannot say how much of the handle has been worn down on that particular day. But after a certain period of time, let's say three months or six months or a year, then the carpenter clearly notices that the handle has been worn down. Or another example from our everyday life. If we have a piece of soap, a cake of soap, um, so if you use it once, then uh, we cannot see that it, that it has diminished, that it has become uh, smaller. And maybe even after the second or third time of using it, it still uh, looks the same, big as it has been in, in the beginning. But if you continue to use it every day, every day, then after a couple of weeks, it's very obvious that this cake of soap has become smaller, that it has been worn down, been diminished. And so, over time, as we do this 
practice of meditation, formally or informally. So each tiny bit of greed that has been removed gives room for non-greed to arise. And non-greed is generosity. And each tiny bit of aversion that has been removed gives rise for non-aversion to arise, which is loving-kindness, compassion. And each tiny bit of delusion that has been removed gives room for non-delusion to arise, which is insight or understanding, wisdom. And so the day will come when the last traces of greed, hatred and delusion are overcome. In other words, then we are fully liberated. The Dhamma is not hidden somewhere, but it is openly displayed everywhere and at all times. It's happening in us and around us without a break. We do not need to get special initiations in order to see it or to understand it. If we could look very carefully, very attentively, then we would immediately see and recognize it. Then we could very quickly understand it. It's like a little star in the constellation of the Big Dipper that I never saw, that I never noticed it, until a friend of mine pointed it out to me. From early childhood, I, lo I, I loved looking at the stars uh, at night. And I knew several constellations up in the sky. And the Big Dipper is a constellation that can easily be spotted on the northern um, hemisphere. And so one night, as I was looking at the stars, this friend uh, told me, or asked me, you know, in the Big Dipper, there, uh, do you see this little star next to one of the seven stars that make uh, up the Big Dipper? And she told me which of the seven stars it was. I looked, I couldn't see it. And she said, but look, it's there. I looked up again. I could not see it. Again, she said, look, it's there. <laughs> and still not, so I tried again. And then, yeah, I could see it. And I looked down to the ground and up again. Of course, yes, it was there. And I could not believe it. In all these years of looking at the Big Dipper, I never could see this little star, although it was there all the time, although it was clearly visible. I realized 
although I could see, I was blind. Or recently, in a practice interview, a meditator uh, told me how surprised she was. How she su surprised she was to see how the mind always reacts in regard to the Vedana. Vedana as the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral aspect of every experience. So she started to see that in relation to what kind of Vedana was present, that the mind reacted to it. Like pleasant Vedana, liking, unpleasant Vedana, dislike. And for her it was such a discovery to notice that movement of the mind. And of course, this had happened all her life long. It was not that only in that sitting, on that day, uh, the mind started to react in regard to Vedana. This mental movement had been going on for so many years, but not looking clearly, not seeing clearly, she didn't notice it. So this is the state of affairs for most beings. Ignorance is like a thick veil that prevents us from seeing what is actually there. And sometimes I think it's not only a very thick veil, but it is a one meter thick concrete wall. At the time of the Buddha, there was an ascetic wanderer with the poetic name of Jambu, Jambu Kadaka, which means rose apple eater. And he went to the Venerable Sariputta to ask him a question. So he wanted to know what was meant by Nibbana, because as Rose Apple Eater uh, said he heard that word again and again. People were talking about Nibbana, Nibbana. So he wanted to know what that meant. And so Venerable Sariputta said, the destruction of greed, the destruction of hatred, the destruction of delusion. This, my friend, is Nibbana. So Nibbana is nothing other than a state in which the infernal trio has no longer any influence, or state where the in infernal trio no longer exists. It's a state where we are liberated from the infernal trio. 
I will end this talk with some words of the Buddha. He tells us how we can live our life for our own welfare and for the welfare of others. In other words, how we can live our life with an altruistic motivation. And after the Buddha's words, we can sit still for a few moments. So the Buddha said, here a person practices to remove his own greed, hatred and delusion and the person encourages others to remove their greed, hatred and delusion. It is in this way that the person is practicing both for his own welfare and for the welfare of others. I thank you for your kind attention. And now we will chant. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.